I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Money Expresso. Now, I don't know about you, but practically everyone I know seems to have the blooming coronavirus right now. Thank goodness for most of us, it's deteriorated to a strength that's more akin to an uncomfortable cold. If you are suffering, get well soon. Now, today's guest is an ideal follow-on to Lindsay Levin, who you may recall I spoke with in the last episode, who spoke about the invisible thread that connects us all and the challenges and opportunities of climate change. She spoke with such passion and optimism. It was really moving. Now, in today's episode, I chat to Patrick Hunt, now, some may say Patrick is the perfect guest for Money Expresso, as he's the creator and designer of the Rock Hand Press Espresso machine. Patrick has a fascination for coffee, people and money. What could be better? Patrick is a product designer with a passion for beauty and sustainability. It was such a treat, actually, to speak with somebody who actually makes things. We cover a whole array of topics in our wide-ranging chat, from making the perfect espresso helping his children understand money by watching It's a Wonderful Life, breaking the gold standard, crypto, what it means to feel rich, the challenges of running a small business post-Brexit and COVID, how we need a bottom-up approach to decarbonising our lives, the concept of give and take, and the satisfaction of repairing things to travel with on your life journey. It really is an amazing conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Patrick, I can't think of a more perfect guest for Money Expresso podcast. A hand-pressed espresso designer with a fascination for coffee, people and money. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Oh, that's really good of you to join us. Um, Patrick, I wonder whether we could just kick off, uh, just to set the scene, with you telling me in a nutshell about your journey to becoming the designer of the rock espresso maker yeah sure so i've I've been a product designer my my whole life and mainly been in the agency uh work designing for other people so i was quite passionate about you know developing uh other ventures that we could kind of eventually spin out incubate and spin out so they could live in their own in their own right so with that in mind i you know, actually, it's 20 years ago now, Ruth, so it's incredibly, incredibly slow to get it off the ground. Gladly, it's flying reasonably well now. But um, so, yeah, I designed the, the espresso machine. Uh, it's, a, it's a manual espresso machine, which might sound a bit strange. So essentially, um, you pour water in from your kettle, hot water, and the rest is all with uh, mechanical advantage. And it gives you the, the requisite pressure to make a fantastic espresso then from that you can make cappuccinos lattes etc but at that time i think um i was probably too early in the market funnily enough i think at that time everyone was into you know like nespresso pods and all that stuff uh and, and now i think people are really un- beginning to understand the environmental impact of stuff and that's the other weird thing is 20 years ago it was really passionate about well let's build something to last and in fact one of the very first production 
samples we made all that time is still in my kitchen i use it every day i've used it every day twice a day for 20 years which is nuts but that was a really important thing to me to build something to last and maybe we'll come on to this a little bit more later because there's a direct correlation between long-lasting products and sustainability um and at that time i don't think it was recognized and funnily enough it's probably not recognized enough right now but it's beginning to be um so yeah that was in a nutshell my journey i I spun it out we got some investors (laughs) uh we built the tools because it's quite expensive initially to to get stuff off the ground found a factory uh in china uh got orders Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of classic old-fashioned make stuff and sell it and uh yeah and it's actually gone through various stages between now and then actually changed an awful lot but uh and there's more products in the range um i mean for instance without going into huge detail we're just launching a uh a storage jar uh they're on the water right now coming from our factory in china which just allows you to store coffee for longer it makes your coffee stay fresher for longer coffee does go off quite quickly and then there's wastage associated with that so although it's a product which doesn't sort of require much energy obviously it saves you um wasting so that's also quite important thing yeah and so let me just get this straight so you designed this about 20 years ago which was well ahead of the 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 coffee you know, craze, mm. um, as far as I can recall. Definitely, I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess Star, Starbucks had kicked off, but um, yeah. but not, you know, there wasn't a coffee bar on every corner. Mm. Um, what was it that drew you to coffee and, and why a manual coffee maker? Mm. Interesting. Well, I had actually worked previously in my life uh, on some coffee machines for some big kind of global brands. And I, and I was sort of interested in doing something that was like super simple and got you as a consumer, as a maker at home involved rather than pressing a button. And you're right, around 20 years ago, that was the thing. Starbucks had just come. They'd been you know, big in Seattle and the States and they were coming to the UK. There were a few other brands that eventually got actually bought out by Starbucks, but I could see it coming. I could definitely see this change from you know, perhaps what would have been terrible quality coffee in the UK, often actually instant coffee as well, which if you look at the charts, it's very interesting that that declines in the same, you know, opposite to how fresh coffee sales have uh, have grown. Um, So I just felt in my bones that it was coming and that we, you know, we will be wanting to make good quality sort of barista style coffee at home the same style that you get in the high street so yeah it's a bit of a punt but yeah. it worked out yeah it worked yeah certainly did um, definitely an idea ahead of its time mm. and for our listeners i know what your coffee machine looks like and it is a thing of beauty mm. are you able to describe it verbally so we we, we get a picture mm. Well, yeah, I'll try my best. <laughs> I'm a man who deals with, uh, you know, the picture paint, paints a thousand, uh, better than a thousand words kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but so it's, um, well, it's it stands uh, about as tall as maybe an A4 piece of paper, a little bit taller. Uh, it's made of um, die-cast aluminium. So that's very long-lasting. It's very shiny. It's a beautiful, shiny metal thing. Um it has these sort of lever arms left and right and uh, an opening at the top where you pour in the water and a normal, I guess if you've been to an espresso bar, you see them banging the, the coffee holder, which is called a porter filter, into the bin and loading it up. It has exactly one of those. So you put coffee grounds in that, 
you lock it in, uh, you put water in the top, as I, as I said, and then raise the arms. And that uh, there's a sort of patent in, in, the, in this sort of brew chamber. There's a rolling O-ring and the water flows down into the coffee. And then you just simply just lower the arms. And as I said, the mechanical advantage of that creates the pressure which is what you need for a for espresso. I mean, that's the, the, the nature of the word espresso. You need the pressure. Um, and that gives you the, the great extraction for all those gorgeous flavors that you come to expect. And then later on, I developed a little milk frother, which you could froth milk very easily. Maybe you just put it in your mug into a microwave and then froth the milk and then uh, add the coffee in a normal way. So you can get really nice quality uh, at home super simply. Hopefully that's that, that's, that's a described. Great it. That you've painted, yeah. Okay, great. And I, you know, I, I when I've seen it, and I, I don't know whether this is a, the right thing to say or not, but I'll say it. I'll, t I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, mm. I'll chance it. Yeah. But it looks to me like a kind of cross between a, like Philip Stark lemon squeezer and a posh corkscrew. Yeah, you know what? You're not the first person that said that. <laughs> that's quite right. I mean, in, in, I take it as a compliment because that Philip Stark squeezer sure, was, was beautiful. Yeah, was an absolute icon of design. Not particularly probably yeah. useful, <laughs> but it's a lovely thing on the no. shelf. <laughs> True. But but you know that's the other yeah. one of the other things about I think creating a successful product is it something that should be you know out and in your kitchen and you know looking beautiful and uh yeah we, we had yeah. actually kitchen storerooms wanting to have our product in there in their show kitchens because when you've got a stay or steer ball tap kitchen that's all crisp edged and marbly it's got a it, it, there's a sort of a, a slightly soft organic shaping to the uh to the espresso machine which i think complements those yeah. modern kitchens well Yes, gorgeous, mm -hmm. lovely. Thank you. Now I'm going to take you um, scorching right back. I'm definitely going to come back and talk more about coffee because mm. it's a it's a subject very close to my heart. Mm. But to, just again to help us get a get a feel for you and your journey, Patrick, it's really helpful to understand kind of what did you learn about money from your family when you were you were growing up. What what was the narrative at home? <laughs> yeah, great question. Actually, yeah. So. Uh, well, my dad was a university lecturer, and uh, it turned out he was, you know, reasonably sort of left wing. <laughs> I discovered that, of course, as I got a bit older. Um, but it, for me, money was very much had to be earned. Um, you know, we had a pretty had a pretty humble upbringing, and um, yeah, we. Like my mum would say, you know, you should never joke about money. <laughs> it's a funny thing. I, I'd never oh. even begin to know what my dad earned. So he would never talk about money. In fact, we never knew about the family finances it was sort of what well, it was a mystery thing but obviously when you develop as a as a human you realize this thing this token this stuff it opens you know opportunities for you you buy stuff and you know even when i go and say visit my grandfather um i don't know if you had experience of this or whether it's something that's weird in my family but you know the, the shaking of hands at the end uh, there'll be like a 50 pence piece concealed in his palm and he passed it across <laughs> you, have you ever heard of that before well, uh, it didn't happen in my family, but I do know what you mean. I mean, it was, a it was a kind of like a joyful thing. You shake hands with my grandfather and I'd end up with a yeah. 50 pence. And I'd be so excited because I know that this thing, this little coin, it could unlock probably sweets or something for me at that at that age. But mm. that it was, you know, that, that there was a, you know, it unlocked stuff. And then I think as I... As I sort of grew up, I did, for, as soon as I could, I, I had a paper round. 
I mean, what a nuts thing that is. Yeah. I mean, paper round before school. Uh, and, you know, I worked yeah. in the local kitchen when I was a bit older than I worked in bars to earn money. I mean, I was very much from that uh, viewpoint of you, you earn, you, you earn money. And of course, that's just only part of it as part of the story. But that's why that's my kind of roots of it all. <clears throat> mm. And one of the things you mentioned there, which is which is a common theme, um, is that money wasn't talked about in your family. You know, you didn't know what your dad earned. Mm. Um, I, I, I always find that quite curious. And I wonder whether it's a, uh, a generational thing, which, which mm. I know you have two kids who are just one's at uni and one, I think, has just left university. But, right, but yeah. did you talk to your children about money growing up? Again, that's great. So I love that question because actually I, in my journey, because I didn't know about the basics of money at all until I got a lot older. I mean, I'm pro probably in my 40s and I thought to myself, goodness, I, I don't really understand this stuff well enough. And it took me on a bit of a journey, which got me to discover a lot more. I understand much more the broad strokes, let's say of money <laughs> i mean that might sound weird but i can talk about that a bit later but with my kids you know i, I think things like I, I really loved at christmas time we, we tended to watch when they were small it's a wonderful life i don't know if you if you know that yeah, in that film beautiful. great christmas yeah. film but actually it's so good for kids that film because it really shows what you know that the notion of money that, that the old-fashioned you know bailey's buildings and loans what that really means that actually you you know when you save money that the, the, the building a loan company or the bank, you know, they're then using that to invest in, say, building someone else's home or, you know, a loan for a business or something. And then that, you know, it's really interesting. And it shows also in that film what happens about when there's a run on the bank and about confidence. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's really, it, it's very, very tangible, actually, uh, mm -hmm. which, which is what I think is really great. And though for me, when I realised, I guess, only looking back, I didn't realise in the 70s, when this reasonably monumental thing happened, when you know, we, when the, when we dropped the gold standard, that that mm. um, that there was a big change in, in money, and it's and actually, it's on a, at that stage, I guess, it started a journey of becoming very kind of abstract. Before, actually, I was thinking, Ruth, um, before speaking with you, I thought, surely, I hardly touch money anymore. I don't know if you're the same. It's all pretty much just electronic yeah. uh, on my smartphone and cards and stuff, contactless. COVID killed cash. I keep saying that to people. It tends yeah. to bring the death knell of it all. Um, but I thought, yeah. I, I looked at a, a £20 note the other day and I thought, surely it doesn't still say, you know, I promise to pay the bearer. But it, but it, mm. but it does. It was reasonably yeah. small text. And, and it, I thought, well, that's really kind of interesting because I remember as a kid seeing that and, and understanding, oh, yeah, okay, so this £20, if I could go to the Bank of England, they could you know, that holding that bit of gold <laughs> that this represents. And, uh, and then it kind of yeah. all makes sense. But once, once that was broken and then countries are free to essentially, you know, print however much money they want, then it becomes, you know, really kind of abstract. And I've been trying to tell my kids about mm. that, that it's now it's a, it's a much more abstract thing. And that's, and that's even before we get into, you know, um, cryptocurrencies and uh, nfts which yeah. is yeah. you know i find incredibly fascinating and perhaps people in my generation they kind of talk about it a bit but my kids generation they're all trading in cryptos and now increasingly nfts and knowing that you can make an awful lot of money 
doing that so that again going going against the grain for me because that's nothing to do with any kind of hard graft mm. equals mm. equals money mm. um so i think that's i think i think it's still a bit probably confusing for my kids but yeah. uh i still try and yeah. i i've encouraged them to i i I, I don't know if I said to you, but a while ago, maybe 20, uh, maybe 10 years ago, I read a great book because I was interested in understanding, and, and I knew that I had a knowledge gap, uh, called The Ascent of Money um, by uh, uh, Niall Ferguson, who's like a, a historian. And um, in that, it's a really great book, I think, for anyone who, who's interested in getting the kind of global view of money. It really you know, explains it in a very nice way, leading you through the story. And that was... Uh, hopefully he's done a new edition now because if you now look at what's happened in the last probably 15 years with cryptos and and then with nfts it's like really evolving at such an incredible rate and it's i don't know what quite to feel about it i feel conflicted um i i, I don't think I, I would potentially you know trade in cryptocurrency but i know that it you, you know you can do very well it's obviously hugely risky uh, and kids perhaps mm. younger people don't perhaps worry about that too much uh, and they're probably sensible about it but um yeah it, it's it's really it's pretty fascinating in fact when it when i first heard about bitcoin i i joined a uh, like a, a mining because you know it made sense to me actually look scarcity yeah. is an important thing to, to to peg currency to scarcity like gold yeah makes complete sense if, if we don't have gold let's peg it to scarcity like a you know mathematical a complex equation and you can mine these yeah. so great and I, and I joined this collective and i ran my mac <laughs> and didn't have enough power really but you know you you, you join in and and, it, and and i ran it for probably a few weeks and didn't even get a percentage of a bitcoin actually so i thought oh, no, i'm gonna give that up and now of course <laughs> yeah, it's questionable, isn't it? How how much energy it takes to create mm. uh, a, a, a mm. particular Bitcoin, and then also uh, now it's sort of almost it's become unpegged, right, from that, and now it's uh, it's off and it's being traded. And you know, it suffers all of the forces, all the market forces that that tend to push currencies and everything. So that's a bit really interesting. I really still really find it fascinating. Still, actually. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how cryptocurrency plays out. And, you know, you're absolutely right, Patrick, to say it, you know, at the moment it is a, is a hugely risky and speculative uh, mm. um, asset to be investing in. But when, when you, I love the, the uh, connection that you drew with, with money, um, you know, particularly decoupling from the gold standard, because, you know, after all, it is just a promise. It's just a, an exchange, mm. isn't it? It's a mm -hmm. form of exchange. What, when you think about it, what is it? You know, mm. it's it's for me, it feels like it's just something in the ether that we just take to be a reasonable thing to exchange mm. and then buy other goods and services with. And so I can imagine a time when, you know, when enough people start to believe in a particular crypto, mm. that that could also become the case. And mm. I think we're a little way off it. And my, my worry is that there'll be a number of people who are burnt and scammed in the meantime. So, um, you know, it, it is a subject to approach with caution. Yet, I think we all need to be aware of it because it is fascinating. And I, you know, yeah. the, the pace of change that we're seeing is is quite incredible. I mean, absolutely agree. And I, and, and I, and I was interested to hear just think recently about, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the Brit Britcoin. So it's kind of is a state backed UK cryptocurrency that was called the brits coin so it gives it a bit more credibility perhaps and less potential um risk of being used 
uh, for criminals and money money laundering. But I just, I think that's not got off the blocks. And I, I don't know if it ever will now. And maybe even the market yeah. wouldn't accept it because they don't want state control of the currency. It's sort of, for it mm. to be free, mm. perhaps is, 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 much, yeah. is much better. Yeah. So you mentioned, Patrick, that you found that you didn't engage so much with money, maybe until you were you were in your forties. How how would you describe your relationship with money now? Yes, well, <laughs> rather conflicted, I suppose, um, <laughs> because I, I do, you know, I've had an independent financial advisor for for for, for many years, and. You know, I understand that you need to be sort of sensible about, you know, your investments and planning for your future. And, you know, as us as humans, we're pretty poor at that, actually, you know, envisaging our future mm. self and caring for our future self. Because mm. we often, I think for the US and for the UK, similarly, we tend to really massively underinvest in our pensions. Uh, but I've never mm. really, I've slightly struggled personally about, you know, buying, say, the second holiday home, um, just because mm. I, I just... I, I think I've got a, a reasonable moral compass and I, 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 de I definitely don't want to, you know, invest in things that, are, that morally uh, cut across me, you know, so tobacco or mm. pharma and stuff like that. I just sort of wouldn't mm. do it. So I, I, I don't, you know what, Ruth, I, I feel I'm quite rich <laughs> in the sense mm -hmm. I, don't, I, I don't really want, I don't pursue lots of goods and services. So subsequently, I don't need, you know, lots of, tokens to buy those things uh, you know i know i could get a slightly better car and i could drink slightly better wine but actually in the end mm -hmm. uh, there isn't you know I, I, i've discovered it obviously it's it's the truth that that having lots of money doesn't doesn't equal happiness of course it unlocks yeah. so many things especially if you're a young soul uh you know a young 20 or 30 year old it seems like the be all and end all but it does have an implication yeah. right so i've been a designer as I, as I said to you at the beginning for my whole mm. working career and we've actually had uh, a tsunami of consumerism and in a way it's been great probably because of decoupling from the gold standard there's been a free flow of, of capital uh, driven by the markets but there's an abundance of capital that's made you know Britain, Europe, America prosper you know per capita compared to you know, Southeast Asia or whatever, China, uh, even Russia um, but it sort of has meant there's a cost to this, right? Outside of, of what we call money, and that's it. It costs a lot of carbon to make all this stuff, yeah. and also when we when we dispose of it, there a lot of it still goes to landfill. We used to ship a lot to China. Don't do that anymore. And I think you know, if you actually went to landfill sites, if, perhaps we should all go to landfill sites. It, it's just alarming. So I, I've really, yeah. uh, you know, I've really changed. I think in, because of what I've doing it in, in, in running uh, Rock Coffee, uh, the, the, the product, the coffee uh, business. And there's lots of other parts to that, interesting things about money, like we, we, we crowdfunded uh, a, a, the next product after the espresso machine, which is a, a real high quality precision grinder. Uh, and that was an interesting thing for me, to, a ways to uh, raising finance in new ways. It's been really interesting crowdfunding mm. 10 years back. I actually did run quite a few projects in crowdfunding, all of, happy to say, very successful. And that's really interesting. And that, so, that, you know, I'm sorry, it's a long answer to your question. So I am a bit conflicted. No, it's okay. But, but you know, money absolutely unlocks stuff in business and you completely need that and you completely need investment. And like the forward investments of crowdfunding, uh, just for 
perhaps people who don't aren't that familiar with it. There's a couple of different ways. One, you you sort of give to the crowd essentially a share of your company. I didn't do that. What I did do is we you 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 sponsor a product essentially in advance. You become, I say, inverted commas, a prosumer rather than a consumer. So you're proactively helping to bring this thing into fruition. So if it's light it succeeds and then those people have contributed to this thing being born and being mass produced and that's what happened with our with our grinder which is a really nice model actually i would like to do it again with some other things because it's uh, mm. kind of makes a, a load of sense uh, but the, going back to the sort of global kind of crisis i think um you know after cop 26 I was, you know, intrigued to hear some of the comments, you know, when the BBC passed the microphone around to people on the street and the comments there were, you know, well, the governments have just got to get on with it now, you know, now I've got to just do this thing. Yeah. And, well, it's yeah. not, it's not a top-down problem. It's a bottom-up problem. We've all got to change yeah. our um, behaviour. And I personally, and I hope, well, I'm, I'm trying to explain this, it's maybe a bit nuanced, but I've, I've had stuff in my life, I've always actually been person who likes to own things for a long time i don't like churning stuff i naturally keep things for a lot for a long time um i mean like I, you know i bought a classic car i bought, I bought that when it was really old it was built in the in the 60s and I, and I still have it now like 25 years on and i, and I love it it's on yeah. a journey with me and then when i take it out they oh this is fantastic and you know cars are obviously you know number one baddie at the moment especially petrol cars but actually it's very important yeah. to realize the notion of embodied carbon so embodied carbon is that carbon that is used to produce the thing at the beginning. So say with a car, it's it's now understood that the embodied carbon to build a car is more than comes out, let's say, the exhaust pipe on a regular petrol car in its whole life. So that's, yeah. you know, when we look at carbon, we do have to think of the carbon it takes to make something and the carbon it takes to sort of run something. It's the same for, say, the coffee machine. Um, that's why I'm really keen that we promote people to repair and keep it going. Because the carbon you use to make a coffee is tiny because it's all non-electric. And if you have a modern kettle, electric kettle, they're very, very, um, you know, uh, efficient, uh, say, compared to heating it on, say, gas. We're, in the UK, we're pretty yeah. good, I think, about creating uh, 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 electricity without a huge cost to, to the planet. But uh, there's a real joy. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get. It's not, I don't feel like I'm giving up something when I have something with me for a long time in, in my life. And you know, whether it's pots and pans or kitchen knives, I, I love that fact that these things go on a journey with me and I, and I have them for ages. I often wear clothes for far too long. You may have noticed if you've seen me recently, I look, you know, shabby. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, you know, you buy, I, I don't like that fast churn. The fashion industry is really struggling, right, to, to square this one because they know yeah. That, that it's built on a mass consumerism and discontent and churn, 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 whereas actually we need to buy stuff. Mm -hmm. And there are you know, some great brands, you know, Patagonia is one of them, uh, there's jean brands that you, you buy it and you keep it, make it last. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a, mm. it, it makes so much sense. And it's, the key thing is it's not like hard. It's, it's, it's lovely to have yeah. these things on, the, on your life journey with you for many, many years. I, lo I love that message uh, about, you know, the the problem we have with climate ch change being a bottom-up mm -hmm. um, issue as, as well as it being top-down. Uh, one of my earlier podcast guests was a uh, um, uh, CEO Mark Cadogan uh, of a B Corp called Ella's Kitchen and um, 
I, I deliberately um, provoked him with my question when I said, you know, some people would say, that, you know, uh, climate change isn't isn't the problem of businesses; it's the problem of government. Um, mm. Because I knew he would respond in a, in a very similar way to how you are, Patrick. And I think it is for all of us to very much reflect on our, our on on our own um, consumerism mm. and you know think about what we want to to, to do about mm. it. And, you know, that plays in really well to you know. The, the beauty of your coffee machine. Mm. Um, in, in terms of um, you, it was really interesting to hear that you did some crowdfunding actually, because one of the questions I was going to ask you was about how you you funded your business. But but maybe I'll move us on to a question that I find um, fascinating uh, as, a, as a former business owner is, what, what, what has been the biggest struggle that you faced in business? Mm. Well, uh, funnily enough, the last two years, <laughs> the last two years have been really very, very difficult. Um, obviously, COVID has made a, a huge impact, uh, as well as Brexit, and both these things happening at the same time uh, has been really, really difficult. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, as a product designer, I'm really keen to develop new stuff, and I'm constantly wanting to do that. But I've sort of had to be, I've really had to divert the business, especially when COVID hit, to make it really work. So the very beginning of my business when it when i first launched it um it was a business to business entity so that's really nice and simple you can take orders commission the factory get some money up front so not too exposed from the cash point of view and then the balance paid on shipping and it ships to those people and then they distribute in their territory lovely and neat and a lovely old school model mm. But I think that the way the world has gone now is that that's practically dead. Uh, you can't really expect to have all those layers of margin between a manufactured cost and an RRP. It ends up getting you know crazy expensive. So a lot of the stuff we do now is direct to consumer from our web store. And, and that was accelerated when COVID hit. And that was a real challenge because when you... Were, if anyone you know listening has been involved in, in selling... Um, you know, uh, uh, from a, from a web store, there's lot there's loads of promises, right? That that the yeah. maybe five years back, they're the big digital corps, you know, Meta, you know, what a Facebook group of companies, Google yeah. group of companies, uh, they promise this very trackable way of you being able to you know, reach out to consumers, see where they go, then retarget them and and this lovely, you know, benefit to, to, to both company and to consumer. But that, that's pretty much sort of broken now, I think. I think the way that, and rightly so, the way people's privacy is protected means that nobody they don't want to be tracked and advertised to i mean i, I don't some young people don't mind actually mm. i've been talking to young people on, on instagram and actually instagram is quite a nice way i would say that you can be um sort of advertised to because it's a, a simple you know scroll through and you see something you go past it and if you like it you you, you know you stop and you look into it whereas i think things like youtube the pre-roll skippable ads on youtube i think they're almost broken <laughs> i mean they can work yeah. Yeah. i've tried it but i, I just don't I, actually i don't actually believe in it so i don't really want to do it too much so that's been a real challenge and um yeah brexit goodness yeah i think it's still got a long way to run <laughs> it just, but, it, but it's mm. i think you know some of europe it's very you know it's obviously emotional uh for europeans um uh and they don't really you know they want to almost have a puni punitive measures against Britain. And I don't really know, I think the broad strokes that the government say are all true, 
But I wonder if they really understand how difficult it is for brands moving boxes, essentially as I do, from the UK yeah. into the EU. It's it's really it's 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 very very expensive to to move boxes into the EU. Um, the carriers essentially who do that for you are profiteering, and I mean it, you know hopefully it'll settle down, but it's just very yeah. very expensive. And then we, ultimately I'm going to need to get warehousing inside the EU. That's that's my plan for this year. But again, you know I'd like to be developing more products, and uh, this is balancing those yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. I think that's probably the main thing. You know, yeah. It's it's kind of fun though, mm. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Or well, the challenge is it's it's something to learn, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. You you've you've spoken um a lot, Patrick, about um you've mentioned your kind of mor own moral compass and having a sense of feeling rich and and I take that to not mean in a in a in a pounds terms Correct. necessarily. Correct. Um what 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 would you um, say has been the influence of your personal values on your business decisions and and choices? Have those played through? Yeah, so I, I, I don't. I've not never been interested in creating something that's just like a, a me too thing. So sometimes maybe yeah. in when you're a design consultant, you have to address that to yourself that question, because you know you, mm. you might be designing next year's model, let's say, uh, knowing that this year's mm. model is going to end up in landfill or create a little bit of discontent. But um, but equally, obviously, when you create. Uh, products for companies who employ people who then sell those and there's tax paid and that's a good you know it's just a positive circle even though there's you know consumerism going on there there's a positive circle of you know of wealth and employment and jobs and I actually take that kind of quite seriously my little old company it's it's really small but the biggest single recipient of money from my company is HMRC you know, when you look at all the, the, the VAT, uh, personal taxation on anyone who works for us, corporate taxation, mm. you know, it, it, that they are, mm. they, you know, they benefit. And in fact, I don't have any, any kind of problem with that at all. Uh, and that's exactly why yeah. you know, we need small businesses. It's great. It's great for the economy, super important for the economy. And uh, yeah, yeah, it makes me feel that, yeah, good. I'm, I'm kind of contributing in a way and it's, uh, it's a good thing. But I, I don't, I wouldn't really want to work on anything that, that I didn't feel was positive in the world. Uh, you know, mm. it, it's fun to be able to control that now uh, running rock coffee so that we can create mm. things that, you know, can stand stand up and say, yeah, I, I deserve my place in the world. I deserve the fact that it's taken some carbon to make me. For instance, mm. you know, I told you we're doing this, a, a new storage jar called Zero Jar. It, it drives out all the oxygen, actually, with a clever mechanism. But there's a, it's made of, glass it's a lovely big glass vessel and glass well yeah. silicates have to be mined they have to be you know shipped they have to be then be melted at very very high temperatures to be formed there's a, quite a bit of carbon in it and uh you know so you've got, it's got to, got to have its reason for for being in existence and and i think hopefully that will keep it long enough and love it and use it it will save a lot mm. of carbon in terms of less waste so so yeah that, that so that's mm. kind of and i you know i guess i'm affected I mean, being interested in this, you know, I've, I, I've drawn to, you know, to some interesting books and stuff. And I don't know if you know the author, Adam Grant, he, he wrote a, a book called Give and Take. Yes. Um, and he's done other things, yes. lots of stuff on think, TED Talks and podcasts. And you know, I, yeah. I like that balance of, you know, not just 
you know, giving everything and, and having nothing in return, but finding those win-wins where you can, you know, can give give stuff back and make create, you know, create companies that that succeed. Um, you know, I love that. I think you know that. I, I guess I interpret that in my own way, uh, but I feel that you know that's what I try and do in in life and in business, and just you know not not be too not be too mar- too sort of free market driven i mean that's the other thing about free market economics that i slightly conflicted about is that in its purest sense it's a bit brutal and i i kind of wonder if yeah. uh, i mean i don't know perhaps enough about this reason you more than me but i think that uh, perhaps there's a you know societal element now that's sort of perhaps changing that nuance to free market economics and we we all look for it to be a bit more balanced and human and that's important because I think, you know, we know we, we know left, left, you know, all this and also all this all this sort of wealth that we've enjoyed over. Certainly, when I think of my life compared to my parents, we're wealthier than my parents, and I don't know with the, with my kids now whether they end up having the sort of wealth that that we've enjoyed in our life. But it hasn't really, you know, where's this better life actually? Because now suicides, I think, especially if you look at male suicides they outnumber being killed in combat by a long way and uh, obesity yeah. now as a human on, on earth today you're more likely to die of obesity than starvation we you know we we have yes. to find our way with it for, as a society as a globe we re- we really do i mean you know it, it 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 seems crazy doesn't it that with so much opportunity and relative wealth uh you know certainly in countries like the uh, you know like britain that we are still you know, we're suffering from the effects, you know, the negative effects of things that should be positives for us, mm. for us all. Yes. Um, we, we, talk, um, we talk about there being more to life than money. Mm. What, what does that statement mean to you, Patrick? Mm. Yeah, that's because that feels a bit difficult to answer because obviously, obviously you need a certain amount of money to lead, uh, mm. you know, a stable life and feel that, the future is more assured. Um, so stability in your, you know, in your job and your future incomes. And if you're a bit older, you know, your pension and stuff. Um, but of course, you know, and you know, I've, I've read studies from way back. You, I think there was some done in the eighties. They they looked at the uh, happiness quota, let's say, of the average American and compared it to the happiness quota of the average uh, Indian person. Of course, huge wealth differential there. And, you know, Indian people generally are, are more happy than Americans. And if you look at America, perhaps where, you know, GDP is very high and personal wealth is very high, generally, okay, big generalisation, that, mm-hmm. that you can see that hasn't really led to, to happiness. But there are other issues perhaps involved in that. But, you know, I think that all this abundance, it, you know, it's clearly, it clearly doesn't help us very much. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, know if I, I don't know if I really answered that that much but i think that you know obviously your your your, your personal sense of worth as a as a human in the, in the short time we have on on earth that's that's the really important thing money can facilitate you of course to do all the things that you want to do and even traveling traveling's great uh, because if it has a purpose for you to help to enlighten you to make you understand culture and humanity better great but just to go flying across the world just to sit in a resort or, or just just to travel that, that sort of for me yeah. feels difficult to justify yeah yeah so it's about finding yeah um you know accepting that we do need money to be able to make choices but then finding purpose with what what we're what we're mm. doing 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't think no. I don't think about money very much. I don't have a lot of it and think I've got to invest in it. And I'm not thinking about yeah. budget weekly budgets, although that might that might change come April when gas prices go up. But you know, I, 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 I'm fortunate. <laughs> yes. I don't I don't I'm, I don't I don't consider money very much. It's 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 you know, as I said earlier, it's just this thing. I don't touch it at all anymore. It's just a number. Uh, uh, my phone d- yeah. just dispenses it to buy a drink or you know, buy a service. It's uh, it's yeah more abstract than ever it is Mm, it is mm. now patrick as we kind of come towards a close i always like to ask this question um mainly because it amuses me but there's been some amazing answers to this Mm. and it's been my question is what's been your best buy for under about 30 pound or so in the last 12 months Mm. well that's actually quite easy for me so um i got this uh kintsugi repair kits do you know about kintsugi hmm. you do no no so kintsugi no i don't tell so, me. So, so so yeah so kintsugi is essentially uh, it's a japanese kind of philosophy it's a it's a it's a japanese way of uh, repairing stuff but without it being invisible so it's like a visible repair so for instance the kintsugi kit i've just mentioned is a kit for bre- for mm-hmm. repairing uh, broken glass or broken plates or in fact i've got a little statue i'm i keep, I'm looking at it a little uh, c- c- ceramic cat i must repair it's got a broken paw and it, basically it's a yeah. it's a glue which has gold in yeah. it so when you when you glue it together and the line of the join is visible and glints and it's like it's proud it's saying you know I, i'm I, i've got i've had a bit of life journey i've broken i've been repaired and you know it's sort of like a, a scar of pride and it's a great repair you can get them on amazon whatever just uh, yeah and and it's uh, it's like it's gorgeous i mean it's a really gorgeous thing and actually they're so inexpensive that i'd also include a wool yeah. repair kit because kintsugi is also about uh, we had i don't know if other people in london have had this but last summer you know sort of had these little tiny moths that go for your best wool they put a little hole in your best wool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah so kintsugi uh, repair would be not to try and make it invisible but use bright colors and do a little sort of darned yeah. uh patch and there's some beautiful jumpers yeah. out there for people that have patched it up for, for years and they you know with all different colors and stuff so you can get these if, you, if people search for kint uh kintsugi repair on amazon or, or, or anywhere yeah. there, there's 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 wool there's the the ceramic one and they're really inexpensive so you can buy you can buy both of those for under 30 pounds for sure Brilliant. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I, I love the idea of wearing your your scars and your journey, uh, your your battle scars with pride. I, yeah, because I, I like I'm a great believer in repairing stuff. Yeah. I mean, a real great believer in mm. that. And, you know, mm-hmm. if anyone's watched the repair shop or the UK thing, it's just a fantastic watch, I have to say. But it's fascinating. And yeah. you, you form that better relationship, right? Once you've repaired something, you're you're joined to it and in a, you're invested in it. And that's really yeah. important, I think, to yeah. do that. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Mm. Love it. And finally, Patrick, um, I always like to ask our guests to leave our listeners with with a money pearl of wisdom or something that's kind of served you or you've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what might that be? Mm. Well, I, I guess it's on a similar theme, but I, I think in my life, I've really found that you can save a lot of money by buying stuff for the long term. So, 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 for instance, we recently, mm. um, uh, we actually changed our, our, our washing machine. We'd had it 20 years and we changed our kitchen and thought, well, we'll invest in a new one. And we, we ended up, I think, you paid double, right, for a really top, mm-hmm. the top quality washing machine. But they last 
20 years rather than paying, yeah. say, half and it lasts five years. Yeah. So, and there, there, I think there's mm-hmm. loads of examples of that. I've been I've recently bought some fantastic skillet pans. Uh, so that's non, yeah. so it doesn't have a Teflon coat. I mean, I, I, I fell into the trap of believing, um, you know, 15 year warranties on Teflon coated pans. I mean, Teflon, you probably best to avoid it now <laughs> because it goes, you know, you wash it, particles come off, goes into the water supply. If it's not treated, and and in the UK that can happen. It goes into rivers, and then you know I think they recently did a study where all, otters have got loads of these long chain molecules in them from uh, you know washing things like Teflon in your sink. So, but anyway, sorry, long long way round. But I think I, I bought a fantastic skillet pan that will last as long as me, and, and it, there's no coating to come off, yeah. and you have to season it, and then it's a great you know it's great. Yeah. I, I love and I love that these things. So so that was it really. So I think it saves you money in the end to buy to buy the buy stuff a lot and it's not just about paying more for things because sometimes you just pay for a brand name but it's a you know, invest mm. investigate uh, uh, whatever you're going to buy and think well i'm going to buy this thing and it's going to last me a long time um and it will save money so that's my that's my pearl of wisdom i i love that yeah kind of buy well and buy once or buy for the long exactly. term i think that's that's exactly. really good sound uh, good mm. for good for the planet, good for your wallet, uh, and it's probably going to be something you're going to love. Um, exactly. Patrick, thank you so much. It's been really lovely talking. To, and you know what I've particularly enjoyed is is talking to somebody who actually makes things. Mm. Um, so many people, you know, so many of us, me included, work in the service industries, and it's so lovely to talk to somebody who physically is actually manufacturing mm. something and and a thing of beauty. Yes. Um, so thank you very much for telling us all about it. And I really hope the, uh, the new coffee storage unit goes, goes well. I shall look forward to seeing it. Thank that. you very much, Ruth. It's been a real pleasure. Great to catch up. Bye oh, for now, Patrick. Cheers. Bye-bye. Don't you just love the way that Patrick spoke about so many things with such knowledge and enthusiasm during our conversation? And I particularly liked his concept of feeling rich without relating that to money and how he tries to balance his personal values in a world of consumerism. I'm certainly going to be checking out the art of Kintsugo. And of course, Patrick and my comments about cryptocurrencies and NFTs are just the ramblings of two people chatting and in no way should be taken as advice. Now, just before you go, let me tell you about my next guest, a great guy called Neil Bage. I've recently binge listened Neil's fascinating podcast series dedicated to helping us understand the very thing that makes us who we are, our behaviours. Neil is a behavioural scientist and works as a chief behavioural officer for a financial planning firm in Scotland. So be prepared to be entertained and perhaps learn and also take a little look in the mirror when Neil talks about some of the behaviour traits that we all have. Until then, stay well and see you soon. Bye for now. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast platform to subscribe, rate, and review Money Expresso. This helps more people find the podcast so we can get more people thinking differently about their money and life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Now, of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is merely to share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. 
Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you.